Thank you. You may be seated. Our gospel text today is from the fifth chapter of Luke, verses 1 through 11. Once, while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, and the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long, but we have caught nothing. But if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for from now on you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. The word of God for the people of God. So, do you know what a meat cute is? Anybody familiar with this phrase? It was a very popular phrase a couple of years back. I don't think anybody says it anymore because I think it's it's just slamming two words together to make something, and I don't know how it works. But I love the idea of these. So basically, these are just the good, fun stories from when people meet somebody. You know, because a lot of times when it just the way things work out, the way that we meet people that are important to us are important stories and they're fun stories a lot of times. I can't help but think about when I met my best friend, the guy who had become the best man at my wedding when I was six and we were unpacking uh, the moving truck to move into my house and his dad brought him over because they saw a kid's bike, which is very forward and very gutsy and uh, it's very 90s. I don't think anybody does that now, but that started a friendship that lasts to this day to the point where that's the guy that I talk to more than basically anybody except the folks that live in my house. Uh, and then there was another friend of mine who I met at a visit day for New Orleans Seminary uh, to see if that was a place people wanted to go, uh, who was brought there by his mom. Uh, and we were making fun of him because a bunch of us went from college and this guy showed up with his mom and we hung out with him and his mom that day. And then like eight months later, I moved in with him uh, and... Uh, lived with him at Mississippi State, and that's the guy who came and preached uh, my ordination service uh, a couple of years back. Uh, but my favorite one of those meeting stories is when I met Alicia uh, after I had left Mississippi State in shame, basically, and not sure what to do with my life, and just went back to, you know how a lot of times when folks are in those moments, they go back to what's comfortable? And that's when I went back to the bookstore that I worked at in high school, because that was the only place that I could get a job. Uh, and two days after I started back there, uh, a new redheaded manager walked in, and she was uh, very confident and very happy to be there, and I knew she was going to be trouble. Um, <laughs> as we've been talking uh, this season about some of the firsts of Jesus' ministry, uh, here in this gospel text, we see him meeting some of his disciples. 
having one of these fun meat stories. We think of Peter and James as John, and Peter and James and John as Peter's disciples, yes, but also they're like the three most important ones, right? This is his entourage. This is his posse. These are the guys that follow him around and lean so hard on him because to Jesus, they're not just disciples or apostles, they're friends. And so this is the story of how Jesus met some of his closest friends. And I tell you what, if I had a story where I met a friend like this, I would be questioning whether I wanted to be his friend because there's a lot of presumption on Jesus's part in this story. Because you hear Jesus is going around and speaking and has this following that's following him around. Uh, and, you know, relatively flat place right there on the shoreline. So he can't really get into a position to where he can keep folks away from him and stand and, and have a, a captive audience. It's basically every time he starts talking, he's being drowned out because he's on the same level as everybody else. So he starts looking around for a solution and sees some boats and just hops in one of the boats and says, hey, can you take me out a little ways? Think about this for a second. So Simon's been working all night long, right? He's been, he's exhausted, basically. He's also very downtrodden. He hadn't found any fish. And so suddenly this guy's hopping into his boat while being surrounded by a whole bunch of people and saying, hey, bring me out a little ways. And so, I don't know, he might have been dumbstruck. He might have been confused as to what's going on. He might have been annoyed and just you know, let his guard down, or he might have been curious to what was about to happen. But either way, Simon listened. And Simon goes along with the simple thing that Jesus has asked of him. But that's the weird thing about being called by God, right? So often, we're just going about our day-to-day -day lives, walking the path that we continue to walk, when God comes in and asks for a simple thing of us, just a first step. It's not that far off from our normal routine, but that veering off is enough to have the potential to start a new trajectory in our lives, to move us off of the path of least resistance and move towards the direction that God would have us to go. Because so often, just like it happens with Simon, God comes in and asks for one thing and then another and then another and then another, slowly giving us opportunities to become more like who God would have us to be. So it is with Simon. Jesus speaks, and after he's done, he sees the opportunity for a miracle to capstone his teaching. I find it fascinating that in this story, and this is the case in some other stories in the gospel, Jesus is teaching, but nobody records what he's talking about because as important as what Jesus has to say is sometimes it's not the focus of the story and today the focus of the story is the relationship between this rabbi and this fisherman this is Jesus and Simon's story so Jesus looks at Simon and tells him to try to catch some fish so Simon was cool about going out into the water he's just had no reason to question that. But this request comes off a little fishier to Simon. I'm sorry, I couldn't not do that. As he says, we've been trying all night and we've caught nothing. But if you say so, there's a sort of doubt in Simon's response, right? There's a, a trepidation 
as this doesn't make any sort of sense. But what bad could happen, right? Might as well try. You see, there's no real certainty in Simon that is required for this miracle to work. He did not have to believe the miracle would take place in order for God to work. Following the way of Jesus doesn't require that we know exactly what's going to come next or what God is going to do or even necessarily believe that it's going to happen, but rather we just have to listen. We just have to follow. And of course, the miracle comes, so much fish that they can barely carry them, almost to the point of it being dangerous, but no one's scared. The nets might break, the, the ships might almost sink, but Jesus is there, and everything turns out all right. But at this point, again, just like the teaching, the miracle isn't really what mattered. It's that Simon has seen what following Jesus can do. Even if it's not the safest thing in the world, it's fascinating, and it brings him to his knees. It's here that this story feels a lot like the story of what happens to the prophet Isaiah in our Old Testament text. Of course, they don't look so similar at first glance. These two stories seem as far from each other as possible, because while Simon's calling comes from a hurried rabbi jumping into his boat, Isaiah's calling comes from this grand theophany, this grand vision of God in this beautiful space that feels almost like heaven itself. Isaiah's calling might seem a lot more grand than Simon's, but all in all, he's still just a man making a small move toward God and falling down amazed at the result. In Simon's story, the sight of the fish lead him to say, go away, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Isaiah, on the other hand, sees the majesty of God on a throne with a long cape and a seraphim flying around and praising. And he causes him to exclaim, woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Both of them realize their unworthiness is what comes from their entire lives before this moment. Both of them realize that the path they've been on, the normal situation of life, the status quo has been for naught. When Simon's reason for thinking this is impossible for us to know, Isaiah tells us exactly why Isaiah feels this way. As Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips, from a people with unclean lips. Isaiah sees that his daily life is headed in the wrong way because not of his own intentional personal feelings or actions, but rather because he has been going on the standard path that was expected of him by his people, by his culture. As it is often the case, this path is a path that is full of systemic issues that we often don't even notice are problematic, but the fact that we just continue to follow and listen to this way brings harm to our brothers and sisters without us even realizing it, especially those on the margins and the outcasts of society that we could never possibly commit as individuals on our own, these atrocities that we can 
take part in because we're such a small part of it, we don't even notice it. It's in realizing this part of our personal trajectories, or in this, in our personal walks, and realizing our part in these systems that we can start to change. These encounters with God, Simon's encounter and Isaiah's encounter, have the tendency to make us question what we've done with our life beforehand. It makes us realize that the only true way to connect is by taking that road that God is calling us down. But we might feel unable, unworthy, or otherwise unsuited to this calling. Both Simon and Isaiah have their fears and worries squelched, though, by God asking them to reach people for God. Isaiah's requires some ritual cleanliness that seems just as dangerous as Simon's fish debacle, as he has a hot coal coming right at his face, as the unclean lips are cleaned as the coal touches them. It is through this cleansing that Isaiah is able to feel confident in himself when God asks, who will go and speak for us? And Isaiah speaks up that line that gets us every time, here am I, send me. Simon, on the other hand, is just responded to with a smile. Jesus says, don't fear, because you are no longer going to be fishing for fish, but you'll be fishing for people. Both of these stories have a central character in need, but they're in completely different places. There's a man in the cathedral with God with the smell of incense and the man on the shoreline with God with the smell of salt water and fish. But both of them revolve around taking a single step toward God, even if that step is scary. And in doing so, realizing just how much God wants to change our paths. This week, this past weekend, rather, I experienced a wholly new experience. This week, we took Eden to the skating rink for her birthday with a few of her friends from school. It turns out that if you're going to send an invitation to a kid in the class, you got to send an invitation to all the kids in the class. And so quite a few shows up, show up. I didn't know how this would go, to be honest. Eden has never skated before, and she tends to not like things that make her move not on her own volition. So I did not expect that to go well. Also, I didn't know these kids. You see, it turns out, for one, peer pressure is awesome because it got her on those skates and moving in a way I've never seen my seven-year-old move. But also, it turns out, the feeling of Eden for the first time introducing me to people that I've never met before was really a, a strange feeling because before this moment, all of her friends have been family friends or church friends or relationships that Alicia and I have otherwise engineered. So her coming up and saying, hey, this is my friend Noah, this is my friend Tanner, this is my friend, going through all these kids and having these relationships and experiences and interests with these kids that she made on her own was a really fascinating experience to me. I wonder if Zebedee, the father of James and John, felt this when all of a sudden his two kids run off with that Simon Peter from the other boat and this rabbi. You see, the calling of God that changes our path 
to that of the kingdom doesn't just change our personal path, but it changes the path of our people, of our tribe, and of our community. It's through this walk that we are able to become friends with those that we might not know otherwise, those that might not look like us or think like us or come from our same background. It's through this walk that we are able to find friends outside of our hobbies and jobs and family ties, but through the real emotional connection of the kingdom of God. We have no idea how well Simon and James and John got along. They might have been best friends. They might not have been. But Jesus coming and them following him, they're going to become better connected than they ever would have in those boats. They share a bond that will carry them further, a calling that they can help each other through, and a community that they are tasked with carrying, even if they don't know it yet. Isaiah, on the other hand, seems to walk alone, speaking out against the status quo to his own people. Thankfully, we are in a situation much more akin to Simon and James and John than to Isaiah. We have this community and believers around the world walking the path of Jesus. May we stick to each other, follow the footsteps of Jesus together today, answer our callings and share our callings with each other. May we all desire to get out of the boat and leave our things behind, all because this new way of living, this kingdom path, is so enthralling. Let us pray.